episode three. Welcome to Open Pod Pod. Welcome everybody to Open Pod Pod. I'm Amanda Buenida Mosquita. I'm a systemic psychotherapist and open dialogue practitioner, and I'm passionate about us bringing new ways of learning and talking and dialogue to each other. And that's the purpose of this. Hello, folks. Welcome to Open Pod Pod. My name is Billy Hardy, and I'm also a systemic psychotherapist and have been interested in working with the ideas of open dialogue for many years now. So it's a great pleasure for me to share some ideas with Amanda on these pods and then see where it takes us. The idea behind these is to create dialogue. We're hoping that the people listening to us will create a reflection on what we're speaking about and hence create more dialogue and a polyphony of voices. It's interesting, isn't it? I think quite often you ask a question of someone or of a room and you don't get the answer straight away but it's really important not to push for the answer as if you're ticking it off on a piece of paper you need to sit with somebody not giving the answer straight away and that's also part that we should reflect on Mm. because that leaves you with whatever it is it's okay Mm. do you think it's perhaps quite usual to leave a network meeting with more questions than answers yes Mm, I like that because that that means that you're you're still in the not knowing position you're still in the position of curiosity you're still with uncertainty if you left a network meeting with all of the answers you'd be taking a position of certainty yeah and that is and we're actively seeking not to take that position yeah which I think is another thing that's uncomfortable for a musician who would normally read a score or for any practitioner who would normally follow a form or a, or something they've often said to people that they found works quite well or something like that any kind of formula we're just talking I think about- you should ask that question again so that we capture it Fiona not to put you on yeah. the hot seat but we just reflected on it and then Fiona ask your question again because I think that's important and- Thank you. And and I said, is it usual to leave a network meeting with more questions than answers? And my response to that was, yes, probably, because otherwise, when you're leaving with more questions, you're leaving with uncertainty and curiosity and a not knowing position. Mm. When you're leaving... The other thing is, mm. I was just going to say, if you're leaving with a question, you're already beginning to reflect on what was asked. Yeah. If you leave with the answer, you're in a cul-de-sac. Yeah. You've just been offered certainty. And then it's like going to an appointment with your doctor and you come out. And the doctor said, blah, blah. Ah, usually I say to people, do you believe that? Oh, but the doctor said, yeah, but do you believe it? It might not be the doctor, it might be anyone who's an expert, you know. We get into this loop thing, you know, and it, it's really quite disabling, you know. Hmm. It's not particularly enabling. And so going out with questions, yeah, it's much better to go out with questions. Mm. It means the conversation isn't, the conversation is still beginning. It's like Amanda saying, yeah, you, the question, Billy, you know, how did you get here? It's an ongoing dialogue. It's not a, it's not a nutshell. <laughs> hmm. It reminds me, Billy, do you remember when I, you probably don't remember because you read so much stuff, but when I did my supervision training with you, I decided that 
there was no beginning and no ending and yes. that every essay I would rather yeah. irritatingly for Billy start in the middle yeah. <laughs> and end in the middle because there's something about middles that allow you to be in a, in a place of continuous growth and change yeah. and circularity yeah. and something about yeah. beginnings or endings to me that seemed to stop that. So leaving with more questions feels comfortable in its in its discomfort because it's a middle. Well, yeah, it's a great... John Coltrane, a very important saxophonist, was asked, you know, how does he how does he compose his music? And he says he always starts in the middle, and then works to the edge. <laughs> Brilliant. And I think that's great. And and I had an experience of that last week, in my Thursday clinic, where people are learning to be therapists. A very skillful person who's learning said she was talking with a young woman, and and we reflected on the conversation. And what emerged in the conversation was that the young woman seemed to warm up towards the end of the conversation. And I said, maybe the young person was already warmed up, but maybe it was you that was warming up towards the end. And they laughed. <laughs> and they said, oh, maybe that was it. Anyway, that was a question that went away with her. And then she come back the next week. So she's meeting with this client again. And the therapist, I say, so... What what's, what's on your mind about this new conversation you're going to have with this young person? She says, I think I'm going to start at the end. And I said, oh, that's interesting. How are you going to do that? The story, I'm telling you what she told me, you see. Mm. And she went in, she went in to, to talk with this young person. And she told the young person about our conversation, about starting at the end. Mm. But she placed herself in a position of not noticing herself or noticing that she w was warming up towards the end. So they thought they would start at the end. It was one of the best conversations she ever had with a young person. Fantastic. You see, the moment you start at the beginning, nothing. well, goodness me, you, you can't start at the beginning. <laughs> Most people you meet who are problematic are in the middle of the thing, you know? Mm. What's it like being in the middle? Because we, we were thinking about that with this set of open pod pods thinking <laughs> how, how do we begin them what would be yeah. the first one it's easy we just talk about jazz and music and dance oh yeah space and that's how we get started well, i think i think episode one should be called the middle and we'll go from there <laughs> but but we have yes. actually in fairness touched on some critical principles definitely but we have we've talked about our own self-reflection We've mm, talked yeah. about truly listening and stopping and being quieter in the moment and being aware of our own feelings, our own ands, our own beats, yeah. you know. We've talked about leaving with curiosity and sitting with curiosity. We've yeah. talked about showing interest in who we're speaking to and what's going on for them and what are their interests and what conversations could we have that were not saturated problem saturated ones we've talked about circular questioning we've actually touched on quite a few principles without mm. them being written into a list you know 
We talked about dialogue. Yeah. We've created more dialogue. We've built upon it. We've built upon the polyphony of the voices. We've reflected on the people listening. So what seems like a conversation about a musical score has actually been much richer when you reflect on it. Mm. And we're still back at the question. Yes, we Inter- are. Interestingly enough, <laughs> after nearly an hour and a half of talking, how did we get here? Mm. That's still present. Mm. And, and maybe it doesn't have a linear answer. And maybe, no, no, and, no. and maybe that's how our clients feel. Sure, sure. You know, they don't have a linear answer. Yeah. Either. They, they, they can feel, you can feel very pigeonholed and on the spot, can't you, when you're the identified client. But, you know, as human beings, we're not linear, are we, at all? Thank goodness, yeah. I mean, we're made up of curves and soft bits, hard bits. But our yeah. lives also are made up of those things. A person as they stand before you, is not a list and doesn't mm. fit into a, a box. And I think that yeah. to feel as if we would rather that even ourselves fitted into a box or fitted into somebody's expectations, our own expectations, to feel as if we ought to fit something, I think is something that we have got used to and that we've accepted and that we've internalised almost. So that yeah. sitting with a non-linear narrative, sitting with people who don't fit into boxes or, or make lists that start at the start, go to the middle and then end at the end, is fundamentally uncomfortable for us and for everybody who's in any open dialogue meeting. I, do you know, I don't know so much, Fiona, because I think I hear what you've said but from my experience so far with teams and with the intervision, I think that people think they're comfortable with that. But when you actually go back to the original question that we're talking about, is what got you here and who are you within this practice and within your work? I think people have needed to, because of the medical model, laminate themselves to a point where they feel that they think they're comfortable, but actually when you scratch off the surface, they're not comfortable. And I think it's mm. a contributory factor to people getting burnt out, people leaving the profession, because I think we do as human beings have a moral code of conduct. And I'm not sure that sometimes ticking the lists or sometimes needing to go through questions at speed because the system expects it of you and you don't have the time to sit with somebody. I don't think it does sit well, and therefore this sits uncomfortably. I think what might be uncomfortable about this is the fact that it's been subjugated for so long, and bringing that feeling up to the surface feels very, very difficult. I'm not sure, but I don't think it's as... I think it's more complex than that. Yeah. It's nowhere near as cut and dried as I described. And yet, when you when you can no longer tolerate discomfort and you're ticking a box, it's usually a bad sign. If if you're still feeling discomfort, 
and even in, as in an open dialogue context, is there then becomes an ethical responsibility if you're sat there in a dialogue and it's a therapeutic process, is how can I make this discomfort that I'm experiencing useful to the client? So how can I use the word laminate? And I think that's a nice description. How can I laminate my responses so that it's received in an ethical lamination for the client so that I can exercise my responsibility towards them, even although it comes from a position of discomfort? Because it moves you, you know, you get moved in all sorts of different ways. It's just noticing that it's there. Mm. And it might be a niche or it might be... When you were talking earlier, Fiona, about feeling something in your heart, you know, we experience these things in our bodies. We easily dismiss them, but we can we can notice the discomfort. Say, I wonder what that is. We feel sadness for others. We feel empathy for others. We feel happiness for others. We feel emotional responses to lots and lots of things that we see. And, yeah. and, and we might see it physically up close. And we might see horror and we might respond to that. We experience all of these things. But sometimes we don't have words to connect with them because it can be overwhelming or horrific or are we just are in floods of tears because it seems so horrible. But the tears are also telling us something. It's a communication. I mean, you've sort of touched on two, which is a bigger topic or a separate topic, I guess, which is the reason why intervision is so critical for us in this process. So that when we're, we're moved or we're feeling in tears, that we've got a space to reflect and be with our colleagues without actually talking about the content of, of it, but talking about our own emotional responses to the work. I think, I think the evocation of someone here is really important, and you may have come across these words before. There are three very important words. They are blah, 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 mm-hmm. and they are, they are attributed to Paolo Freire. And it's a very simple thing that he said. It's very easy to remember. He said, without reflection, then it just blah, blah, blah. And all you have is activism. Is activism without reflection is blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and if you can avoid the blah, 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 it means you're taking a different position in relation to what you've heard or experienced. It's one of the lesser known things about Freire, but he was an educational philosopher and, you know, he said lots of good things. I usually get students to write them down, you know, I say I've got three very important words to say, you need to write this down <laughs> and they're all ready with pencils. And then they fall about laughing because it, and they don't forget it, you see. Mm. <laughs> I like that. Mm. But Amanda's just reminded me of it. <laughs> it's funny because this conversation's reminding me of, some of the edges of how we learnt together and continue to. One last book before we sign off because oh, it's getting on a bit. Another book, told you, warned you all. It's one that f- it seems to fit the moment because we've talked, we've touched on the edges of performance and the idea of Amanda sitting back a bit and having a bit more space so to, to offer us some reflections, you know. And sometimes we can get organised by the performativity aspect and last year last summer I bought a book and it's it's one of those things 
I read one book and I have to find the source of the quotation in one book, you know, and I end up connecting with it. But I ended up reading a book called The Stanislavski Toolkit. And The Stanislavski Toolkit was written by a professor of acting, but it's a brilliant... I should have read the book 20 or 30 years ago because it so embodies systemic thinking and practice and open dialogue that it should not be missed. And I read it in about three days. It was brilliant. And sometimes people look at me and say, oh my God, he's talking about acting now. What's this got to do with therapy? Well, a lot of the therapy we do is acting into something in the shorter sort of way of thinking. We're acting into a space. So yeah. we should be mindful of it and ourselves. Thank you so much to you both. Thank you, Billy, for all your wisdom. Thank you, Amanda, for having the idea and bringing us all together. Fingers Brilliant. crossed that it all comes out okay in the mix. And thank, thank you. you for your contribution. You're thank welcome. You. Thank you for and being hopefully, here. And hopefully you got a flavour of what Open Dialogue is. And that's it for this episode of Open Pod Pod. Join us for the next episode.